1: Everybody, feeling good today, feeling good today on the Brother from Another program. I like to call it a program. It's not a show, it's a program. Isn't it, it's not even a program or a show, it's a way of life. Brother from Another, whether you're listening on Sirius XM Channel 85, watching on PeacockTV.com, watching on YouTube, listening wherever you listen to podcasts, we appreciate you, glad to have you. And I'm going to start off the show this way with an apology. I usually don't start with an apology. I, I have to apologize for the thoughts I've had in the last not even 24 hours. I know where your mind is going. Shame on you. You think it dirty You're thinking the wrong way. No, no, no. These are football thoughts and I should know better because I live in the Northeast. It's still technically summer. I mean, I had the windows open last night because it was hot. There's a lot of football to be played. Cold weather games haven't happened. All the cliches that we say, you find out about a football team, what it has and what kind of resolve it has in November and December and January, we're not there yet. It's not even Earth, Wind & Fire Day yet. That's coming tomorrow. So I should know better. I need somebody to slap me. I need somebody to bring me back to my football center because the thought I had last night was nobody can stop Buffalo. I should know better than that. It's only two games. They've only trucked two opponents. The Rams on the road. The Titans at home. They look dominant. They look unstoppable. But I keep having this thought that forget about the record because you really gonna want to slap me when I say when I say this. Okay, (laughs) I'm not talking about the record. I'm talking about the last time I felt this way about a football team where I saw a team play and I just went round and round thinking, how can someone stop a team like this? This dominant, this overwhelming, this complete. Last time I had a thought like that, the year my friends was 2007. And the New England Patriots back in the old world when they played 16 game regular seasons, way long time ago, they played 16 game regular seasons the New England Patriots played 16 in the regular season and won 16. Now, what I'm telling you is I don't believe the Buffalo Bills are gonna go undefeated, but I usually don't have thoughts like this about football teams. I certainly don't have thoughts like this in September. But I do now. You look at Josh Allen, the Stefan Diggs, and clearly that's not changing. That's the, the best quarterback in the division, probably the best quarterback or well, second best quarterback in the AFC. Patrick Mahomes throwing to one of the best receivers, but they didn't even have Gabe Davis last night. They weren't even stressed with the running game. They didn't have to make really many uh, great defensive plays. The game was over in, in the third quarter. The game was over. Who can stop the Buffalo Bills? That's the thought I'm having today. And I feel like nobody's up to the task and I know that's not right. I know that's not right. But I can't shake that thought so I need some help. I need some help. I need our guest today to help me out. I'm going to ask every guest that we have today every guest. Hey, tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me to calm down. Tell me it's too early. You sound like you never watched a football game before. You never been through an NFL season, Michael Holly. So we're gonna to go to some people who really, uh, especially, especially Brandon, like knows this, loves this show, and loves football. Brandon Newman, Mike Golick Jr. I was just doing a podcast with them. Seems like yesterday we were talking about the AFC East and and fellas. I think I said then, you know, Buffalo Bills, Ivy League, everybody else, community college. Right, so uh, where, where am I all wrong? No, tell me, tell me that I'm overreacting to to what I've seen in two weeks with the Buffalo Bills.
2: I mean, I don't think you are necessarily. This is. Particularly impressive because number one of the opponents they face, you mentioned the defending Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams in week one, that they went out on the road at their coronation night when you have their banner going up and absolutely drubbed them. And then you take while a very different roster. I understand, especially with AJ Brown leaving this offseason, the Titans were still the one seed in the AFC last year, even if we didn't buy that. So it wasn't like a team that was coming up last year after picking in the top ten in the draft. And they went out and they made it look easy. And you guys know this in the NFL, we talk all the time now, especially post 2011 CBA, about how different the approach is to the beginning of the season because you don't really have everyone approaching preseason football the same way. So the first quarter of the season is supposed to be where you kind of work out some of the issues. And right now, this Buffalo team has gone out and looked like an absolute meat grinder without Gabe Davis last night. And on defense, without Tre'Davious White, who you could argue is, I you know, probably not argue, when healthy, their best cornerback, who's on the puplist still right now through the early portion of this season, and yet they look deep, they look potent on offense, and defensively, they took Derrick Henry and once again completely eliminated him from the game plan. So no, I don't think this is hyperbole. Buffalo came in as the Super Bowl favorite. Josh Allen came in as the MVP favorite, and they've done nothing to Ooh. dissuade
3: us so far. Yeah, honestly, Mike, I want to know why you think that Patrick Mahomes is better than Josh Allen's right now.
2: So oh. I would say this. The one thing we can look no, at no, no, from no, the no, game no, last no. Sorry, night was interesting.
3: Mike, Mike Gullick, not you, Michael Hawley. I want to talk to Michael Hawley okay. about why he thinks I Patrick say, Mahomes. Excuse me, my all, mics.
1: Hey, hey, for Brandon Newman, you haven't been gone so long that you don't know my name. Who the hell is Mike. I don't go by oh, that's Mike. True. That's I'm true. not
3: yes, a Mike. Yes, I'm Michael. Michael. I apologize. Now, I to ask sure. Anyway,
1: I'm
0: sorry. That's why I'm I thought you talking to Golik.
1: Anyway, anyway,
0: <laughs> why apologize. is
1: okay? Where it's it's very close, right? When you're talking about all-time greats and who's better, essentially, you have to get down to that point where nobody really likes getting there. Nobody likes to do it because it's not on one guy. But if you look at the winning the winning percentage. And winning in big games, you got to give it to Mahomes. Not to say that you got to say, not to say that Josh Allen can't. I'm not saying he can't do it, but it's just you have to. If you're getting to, uh, it's like the seventh or eighth tiebreaker. Both guys, you know, read defenses. Both guys have great arms. Both guys make the best out of their roster. Uh, both guys have won a, a bunch of games, but Patrick Mahomes. Has been in two Super Bowls. He's won one. He's matched up with Josh Allen and the Bills twice in the playoffs. He's 2-0 in those situations. So I give him the edge. It's not like he's, like, uh, he, he's ahead by you know, 75 points, but I will give the edge to Patrick Mahomes because you're playing this game for one reason, and that is to win championships. That, that's your goal, and he's done it, and Josh Allen hasn't done it yet.
2: Michael, I will say to that standpoint, too, the thing that, would, because I agree with you, I think Patrick Mahomes, and I've said, is the best quarterback in football until further notice. And some of that is also Mahomes has already had to do the adjustment. We went through this whole thing last year where we talked about how different everyone was playing the Chiefs. And now going into this season, the weapons change. Tyree Kill no longer lives there and is down in Miami helping Tua in the fastest offense in the NFL. And we saw how different that made their game plan look going up against, let's say, the Los Angeles Chargers this last Thursday night where you saw overall from Andy Reid on down a bit more of a conservative game plan bigger personnel groups Patrick Mahomes having to spread the wealth and be the game breaker on a team that may no longer have that at the rest of their skill positions he's had to weather that and already come out on the other side and shown us he's more than capable of doing so for Josh Allen and the Bills they got some of that same stuff last year and some teams started to defend them in a similar way but I think we still haven't had to see that offense do a major shift we've watched Josh Allen improve every year in a way that defied expectation but if I'm going to look for a reason why I'd give it to Pat it's because he's already had to make a major adjustment and showed no drop off in his skill or his approach to the game
1: Brandon you're furrowing your brow you're furrowing what are you what are you thinking I'm just wondering what's what's on your mind or or is this let me let me just let me just call you out here for a second is this a Ravens thing somehow do the Ravens factor in like We're not talking about the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. And let's not forget about that. Or, you know, tell us, tell us what you're processing right now.
3: Well, live right now, I'm processing the lawnmower outside my garage right now. So I feel like Michael (laughs) Smith back in the day when we were uh, competing (laughs) with his landscaping. So that's that was my furrowed brow. But but yes, I I do have an issue because Damian Woody of of ESPN fame recently said that Josh Talon was the best dual threat quarterback in the NFL and I'm sitting back, look, thinking about my Lamar Jackson. I'm like, what is missing here? Why do people and obviously it, it the, the winning the success. I think Josh is probably the most. Yeah. The most decorated, the most efficient dual threat quarterback, but the best the most talented. I mean, you got it. You got look what Lamar Jackson did last week.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. I, I don't know how you feel about it, Mike. I mean, if, if I just said if you describe it that way, if you say dual threat quarterback. Well, Lamar Jackson, you know, as Brandon said 79 yard run last week, spent has been over a thousand yards uh, as a runner. He's been an MVP of the league. Uh, he passes really well. He's got a great arm. So if you just say dual threat quarterback, okay, he's got to be one, right? Yeah,
2: I disputed this with Brandon a little bit when I first heard it, but I think especially now what's going to be interesting is part of this also has to be about consistent use, right? And what we've seen in the conversation we've heard around Buffalo early this season is are they going to try and maybe lessen the Josh Allen designed rushing attempts in this offense early on in the season, try and maybe save that for when they need it in the postseason and take hits off his body because he's one of the guys that gets hit a ton even with Maybe the sack numbers not being egregious. He's just a physical player the way he's built and the way he operates for Lamar Jackson. Him as a rusher has to be a part of that offense. The way the Ravens and Greg Roman have structured that offensive system. You need Lamar Jackson rushing attempts in there. The zone read stuff that they do in that offense, having two and three tight ends on the field works when you've got the most dynamic run threat by far. Him and Josh are very different as far as the dual portion of the threat that they provide, but that also, at times, I think has been used as a disservice to Lamar Jackson, the passer, that so far we've seen shine during the early portion of this NFL season.
1: I want to ask you guys. You know, going back to Buffalo and and in Kansas City, it may not be that. Oh, there are surprises every year in the playoffs, and we think, okay, these are the two best teams; they're going to meet for the right to go to the Super Bowl. It, it may be somebody else, but let's say it's Buffalo and Kansas City again. What what has changed? from from last year is Von Miller. Is, is that the big difference that if you have Von Miller, you just kind of drop in if you could time travel and you say hey, if you had Von Miller last year, you drop him in they never uh, are able to do what they did in 13 seconds because Patrick Mahomes is still looks great. Josh Allen was great last year in the playoff game looks great. Now is that the big difference that will get theoretically that will get Buffalo over the top of Kansas City.
3: I think the difference maker is not having Tariq Hill back there. Now, you and I were doing the uh, doing the show live when the Tariq Hill trade went, went down, and I said yeah. I didn't think that he was a top-five wide receiver. He's going over there with Mike McDaniels and uh, Miami Dolphins and proving that he is the top-five wide receiver in these first two weeks. So I think the difference... The offense is so different now. Patrick Mahomes has to be more precise on every play. Obviously, we haven't seen uh, Kelsey tear it up the way that Tyreek Hill has because it used to be uh, just like bang, 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 a bunch of weapons. Everyone was in the end zone. This offense moves a little bit differently. They're kind of moving the sticks. They're going a little bit more methodical. And also, you got uh, the Flats getting played with so much with uh, Hilaire, with the running backs for for the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't see the, the big take the top off the defense the way they still have it with Stefan Diggs uh, over there with with the Buffalo Bills.
2: Yeah, that would probably be my chief worry also. I I think the Von Miller factor is absolutely something that compounds that, right? And Von Miller, it's like, you know, T, you got to let the flavor sit and soak in there because he's going to be great on his own. But the other effect he has is – on the continued development of a young defensive line room that they've spent a lot of draft capital on. And you saw with Greg Rousseau out of Miami, AJ Epines out of uh, Iowa, all the guys they've been able to amass. I mean, they didn't even have Ed Oliver on the field. Who's a huge factor in their run stopping and they were still able to shut guys down. But what Vaughn does as a teacher, he's the guy that runs the pass rush summit every off season. He's gifted enough as an individual talent wise, athletically but also built with that. I think he affects a room, but then yeah, when you need him in big moments, we saw again, to go back and reference the chargers game. Cause I think it's an interesting comp, the chiefs lower margin for error because they can't just go and golden state warriors. You all of a sudden now, where they're going to be able to put up monster points and come back and do what quite frankly, the dolphins did in the fourth quarter of that game against the Ravens. I think as often now, just because, the speed dynamic doesn't work the same for them. So I think that part of it combined with can the chiefs knowing that's the way their offense is going to flow mitigate pass rush in the same way. Von or Khalil Mack and um, uh, Joey Bosa in that game on Thursday night had to be accounted for on every play. That is as dynamic a pass rush as you're going to see. The Bills, while they may not have another, you know, pass rusher of Von Miller's caliber necessarily alongside him, it's still one where they're going to have enough of a plan where it changes the math and it allows that Buffalo secondary to be really aggressive with the Chiefs tra- passing attack that right now can't go and threaten you deep with speed the way they used to be able to.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, Tyreek Hill, when we we're talking about the top 10 players I had to come up with a list because no, everybody has a list at the beginning of the season okay top 100 players in the league top 50 players in the league and I just came up with the top 10 players and I put against my better judgment I put Tyree kill at number nine just because every, your whole franchise outlook changes when you have Tyree kill on your team I mean we're talking about Miami Miami came back against yeah Jalen waddle was great but Jalen waddle and Tyree kill allowed them both of them. Uh, allow them to come back against Baltimore. Yeah, it's not a, it's not that simple, but sometimes it is that simple. That guy is a game-changer. You have him on your team, you are you can dream bigger when you got Tyreek Hill on your side. Now, let me ask you guys this, because we haven't talked about this yet, and, and I, I want to get to it before we run out of time. How do how you guys think about college football? What do you think about college football so far this year?
3: Come on, come on, Michael Holly.
1: Now, I'm just wondering, I... I How's the college football season going? You, got, you, you both went to Notre Dame. I'm just wondering how you feel about Notre Dame's season, particularly the first game of the year at Ohio Stadium. How, I mean, what did you guys think?
2: <laughs> I think that if right I'm fan. Ohio State fans, I'm, uh, I'm wondering, all right, is my defense as good as we thought it was after seeing what the Woo! Notre Dame offense did?
0: You Turn it back on us. You no, can't do I, that. I,
2: I know. Look the I will. I will say. By the way, I think Ohio State is going to be really good. I think that's going to be a team that's probably in the national championship. With at this point, you'd have to say Georgia. I mean, that's been the best team yeah. in college football far and away so far this season. Notre Dame, man. We're, we're in a year that is about growth for the future. We are investing in ourselves right now. We are drinking water and I taking like hot girl walks. And we understand that bringing Marcus <laughs> Freeman over to be a first-time 36-year-old head coach was going to come with a bit of a learning curve in certain spots. And I think some fans are more prepared for that than others. So, again, I am manifesting the future that we want to see, focusing I on the quality it. recruiting rankings for the next class, and saying this is going to be a year where we learn where we grow together as a program and we get ready for even better things to come. That is my
1: such. That's a great answer. I got to tell you, that's a very diplomatic. Now, if you believe it, it's even better, but that is a great answer. I would would buy that.
2: Hey, It's the George Costanza. It's only, it's not a lie. If you believe it. And at this point, I have talked myself into it enough in front of my mirror every day that I believe it. Listen,
1: number one recruiting class next year, Brandon, number one,
3: Perfect Ahead segue. of Alabama,
1: Ohio State, Georgia.
3: Perfect segue, Michael Holly. I wanted to talk about the youth of this Notre Dame football team. Obviously, old gold and, and navy blue are our colors, but we have a very young head coach and an even younger team trying to figure out what to do and how to do it. And uh, I think you're dealing with a very conservative-minded uh marcus freeman who is can is still obsessed with coaching specific sides of the ball i read an article recently where he spends half the time with the defense and offense and things like that where i haven't seen that from any head coach i haven't seen that from any head coach i've ever been around they focus on the big picture managing the game uh kind of have it like all the way zoomed out and they trust their coordinators to do that and obviously marcus freeman trusts his coordinators, especially tommy reese to do right by our offense but there's a lot of new parts. A lot of guys that haven't played a lot of football on the field there, and they have that big name, Notre Dame, uh, attached to the back of their uh, jerseys, front of their jerseys, and they got to live up to it. I think it's as easy as that. I think I'm enjoying the fact that we have a team that isn't chalk. What is it like to have a chalk team every, every year, Michael Holly? How boring is that? Tell us about it.
1: Oh, no, it's not boring. I can tell you this. I tell you it's not yeah. boring. And you know, when you get those number one recruiting classes coming in, and you're a top five team every year. You won't be bored either. Nice try. Now you don't believe that. You don't believe it works. I what don't, can I I don't believe more? that
2: for a second. I can tell you, I enjoyed greatly <laughs> like, the last seven years when we were winning yeah. ten games every season and going to the college football Absolutely. playoff. I will take that any day. I grew up in I grew up like the meat of my childhood went. Bob Davey, Tyrone Willingham. Like, I've seen a lot of losing football around Notre Dame's parts before. My dad was coached by Jerry Faust. They don't even – they have stricken that oh, from the record books around Notre yes. Dame. My dad says they talk great about guy, it like the man. dark ages. Oh, Jerry Faust an awesome guy. Comes back and signs great books guy. at Notre Sweetheart. Dame. He's an awesome dude. Yeah, yeah. It just wasn't a yeah. time that they like to talk about all that much. And
3: so, I My get God. it.
4: This is –
3: consistency is I would – I don't want that. I don't want the ten win seasons, especially when we have a primetime record the way Kirk Cousins does. Like, if we get embarrassed when everyone's watching that no. same way, no, See, no, you, I, I, think man, I, I don't, it, it,
2: I don't, I don't know been. when you got this rich as far as a football fan, but no, I will right. absolutely take being better than ninety five percent of college football, even if it means that we can't beat the space alien force that gets trotted out by a handful of teams every season. No, you sound crazy right now. <laughs>
1: I love but it. I do best. I love it. I'll, I'll leave you guys to argue. Hey, it's good to see you. Thanks for dropping by. Door is always open. Brandon, Mike, anytime. Just swing on through. Good to see you both.
3: Thank you very much. I don't yeah, know what I'm Michael. saying. Thank, thanks for having us, Michael Holly. I thank, miss you. Thank, love your shirt.
1: I, I miss you too. That's nice. There you go. You didn't even know how to say you were. You were hesitating. Should I say I miss? I know. It? Should I say that? Ma-
3: Yes. Men don't know how to talk to each other I mean, like that. This the only way we get a chance to catch up is jumping on each other's shows. So I'm glad you had us.
1: Jumping on the show. I love yeah. you. I love you, Brandon. I love you, Mike. Thank you. Love you, you Love you,
0: Michael.
2: Felt good, um, getting in the ball early and often. He did a great job getting open, um, making plays, making some, some great catches. That long long one was a great catch. Um, so he, he is what he is That's Stephon Diggs. You know, we, 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 we know he is one of the greatest, if not the greatest you know, receiver in the game right now. And I trust him implicitly. I love that guy. He works his tail off. And I'll tell you what, on that long touchdown drive, I, I can't praise him enough. You know, he ran a, he ran a deep go. Um, he came back. He ran a quick out. He got a look. He's on the sideline running, and to have that that stamina and that want and that will to keep going, um, not taking a play off there, you know, and he got rewarded. But again, I can't praise him enough for that because he just put his head down. He worked tonight.
5: It was a lot left on the bone, really. Like, it was. A, I had like a fade. We had some uh, plays where they jumped off sides. Just like taking advantage of opportunities at this point. Um, you know, I've been with Josh for a couple of years now, as I, as I said, like a couple of weeks ago. It's just you know, try to fine-tune and trying to get better in all areas. So at this point, you know, uh, there's two wins trying to and go on, try and get the next one.
1: All right, let's bring in our, our Monday morning quarterback on a Tuesday <laughs> Burt Breer. and Bert. I, I just I was just thinking last night as I was watching Buffalo I was telling uh, uh, Mike Gola Jr. and Brandon Newman that I, I really haven't thought about a team like this for a long time a team where I'm really just racking my brain Wondering how do you stop? How do you stop an offense like this that wasn't even playing at full strength? Like Gabe Davis is an amazing <laughs> receiver too, and he wasn't even there. So and I how? That's the question. How do you? Oh, the defense.
6: Remember that. Remember the defense didn't have Ed Oliver or Tre'Davious White either. And you could argue Tre'Davious White's the best defensive player on the team. So they're loaded. There's no question about it. You know, I I think you try to do what the Rams tried to do early in that game, um, you know, in the opener. And I think what the Titans tried to do um, early on in their game, which is try to make them go 10, 12, 14 plays, get them in short yardage situations where they're a little less comfortable. um, And then, you know, like that naturally will limit their possessions to some degree. The problem is they're getting better at that. And I, and I think that's one of the main things like that I've noticed the first couple of weeks is, you know, I guess if you want to relate it to golf, like Josh Allen's short game's gotten a lot better. And I think having guys like Dawson Knox underneath helps a lot. Um, it's a really, really difficult offense to deal with right now. There's no question about it. And I think you know, the best way to do it is probably try your best to force them to churn out first downs and be consistent. And you, you do that knowing they've gotten a lot better in those areas.
1: You know, you think back, uh, Bert, to the 2018 draft. And and we love doing this. I mean, we love the draft. Uh, Clearly, uh, the draft gets more and more eyeballs, and more and more people are attending the draft in person. Uh, It's one of the great off-season NFL events. But if you go back to 2018 and and think about, you know, Baker Mayfield going uh, off the top to the Browns. Sam Darnold going to the Jets and just imagine if somebody else had taken Josh Allen or if the bills had passed on Josh. It just, it just seems so bizarre to think that Josh Allen could be anywhere else. I haven't seen uh, a, a better example of quarterback fitting system and city and mentality more than than Josh Allen with the Bills. I mean, it's hard to imagine him anywhere else, isn't it?
6: I mean, it's almost too good to be true, right? Like, you think about, like, just sort of where he's from in rural California and then, you know, going to school at Wyoming. And, you know, I, I remember talking to people before the draft who said, like I, I, like, I don't know if this kid can handle going to, like, a New York. Like, Sam Darnold, who is from Los Angeles, winds up in New York. At the time, like, I think a lot of people felt like, oh, like, that's perfect. You know, Sam Darnold, the big city kid, goes to the big city and – Josh Allen, who's sort of from the middle of nowhere, winds up in Buffalo, makes all the sense in the world. Um, you know, so I think that part of it really worked for Josh. And I, I think it worked, like, for more than just, like, that aesthetic reason. I, I think it also worked for development reason for development reasons. Josh Allen needed work. Um, and I think he'd tell you this. He needed to get more accurate. His mechanics needed work. Um, and this was a kid who just needed to play. You know, he needed to get out there and kind of deal with the bumps. And I just think being in that environment in Buffalo probably helped him in that, you know, if he's in New York playing for the jets, say the draft, the, the, the jets take him third overall. instead of Sam Darnold, you know, they're litigating his play on a, on a day-to-day on a week-to-week basis. Me and you know that, you know, uh, Michael, we live in that environment in new England, you know, and I think in yeah. Buffalo being in an environment where it was a little bit more low key and you know, his career wasn't going to be assessed on a week-to-week basis. I probably really helped the Bills develop in the right way and so they were able to get him out there and keep him out there and you know he gets to keep playing he gets to keep fighting through his mistakes and the sky isn't falling every 5 minutes you know because he threw an interception here or fumbled on a run there you know I think it really allowed him to kind of take his development in a step by step basis and it allowed the Bills to do it in a step by step way too um, yeah, I really think that that's a part of it, you know, and, and would it have made or break, what would it, was it a make or break thing? I don't know. I probably not, but I certainly think it helps.
1: Bert, they've done an incredible job. I think just in con in context, you look at a team that is building, you're trying to build a championship team. That sounds great. We always talk about it. Okay. We've got to mm-hmm. build a championship team. How about trying to build a championship team when you are in the same division with a perennial division champion where uh, they don't even the patriots and their fans got to the point where they started to mock winning the AFC East yeah. title like of course of course we're going to win AFC East we're thinking about something else we're thinking about super bowls so you're trying to build as they're still going and you draft Josh Allen great draft choice you mm-hmm. trade for Stefan Diggs great trade you bring in, uh, you know, Micah Hyde, great free agent signing. John, uh, you know, now Von Miller, great. You, you think about all the stuff that they did—the draft picks, the signings, the trades. They checked. You want know to about checking a lot of boxes? They checked like two or three boxes, like per line. They. Yeah. It really it was a master class, Bert, in in team building from not so great team to borderline champions, uh, borderline champions.
6: You know what I love about it too, Michael, is like we always focus on like the coach and the GM and the quarterback, right? Like, but this really is about like the depth of the organization and they put like good people around Josh Allen. They built through the lines of scrimmage, Um, They did things the right way. They got good quality people in there as leaders. So Josh wouldn't have to lead right off the bat. Like that was one of the things that was really important to them was allowing him to develop at a reasonable pace. And so what do they do? They go and find outstanding leaders for the locker room guys like Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, who they know could, who they knew could carry the load. They held on to Kyle Williams for a couple of years, you know. So when when Josh Allen got to Buffalo, Kyle Williams was still in that locker room, and you know, so it was outstanding people in the locker room on the coaching staff, you know, bringing in Brian Dayball, getting him out of Alabama, having Leslie Frazier there as the defensive coordinator, and then got the personnel department like Joe Shane, you know, now he's the Giants GM. Brian Gain goes to Houston, he winds up coming back. They've got some younger guys in the in the in the pipeline now that are coming up, and Terrence Gray and Malik Boyd, Dan Morgan, you know, he's another one. He's the assistant GM now in Carolina. It's not just the people at the top, it's the ability of those people to identify more people that would make the organization deep. And I think that sets them up long-term too. Like that's why there's younger guys in the pipeline. I mentioned Gray and Malik Boyd on the personnel side coming up to replace guys like Morgan and Shane leaving. Well, then, you know, you look on the coaching side, Ken Dorsey's ready to go, right? Like, so Ken Dorsey is there when Dayball leaves. And if Ken Dorsey leaves, well, now they've got Joe Brady in the pipeline. So I think it's a really good example of how it's not just about a couple of people. It's about, Finding a way to make sure the right people are at every level of your organization. I think the Patriots were great at that for a lot of years. It's why they been, they were on the on top of the AFC East for so long, and I think Buffalo is set up in a similar way right now.
1: All right, now obviously we talk about the quarterback. Most franchises say if we got a star quarterback, we got a chance. How about a the, the, a different line of thinking though that we're seeing in Philadelphia? in Miami. Mm -hmm. I I know Miami is just one. It's just one great Sunday afternoon for Tua, but, but neither Tua nor Jalen Hurts really recognized as a top 10 quarterback. Nobody said, Mm -hmm. Hey, this guy's a top 10 quarterback in the league, but they give Jalen Hurts some help on offense. They give Tua some big help, some fast help on offense. And all of a sudden, you know, these, these franchises and these quarterbacks look a little different Maybe is that the newest uh, is that the newest direction to go, Bert? Look, hey, we can't get a franchise quarterback without right. selling out our entire organization. But what we can do is overpay and go out and, and get some yeah. big time weapons, and maybe we can get we can get to a championship path that way.
6: That works when they're on a rookie contract, you know, like while well, they're still not making very much money now. The question becomes like can they level up when you get to year five year six year seven when all of a sudden now that guy's making a ton of money and it's going to be up to that guy to make up the difference you know and whatever it is 35 40 million dollar difference between what they're making is on their rookie contract and what they wind up making on a veteran quarterback contract so no doubt like you know Miami and Philly I think are doing the right thing and loading up while they can while they've got their quarterbacks on rookie contracts the problem is eventually the dynamic changes there and I I think you know you've seen some impressive improvement from both those guys I mean Tua I think having you know the right environment there now I think Mike McDaniel has done a good job of sort of preparing some of the hurt feelings in that building Um, you know and then I think that that, that they built in a way not that Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle wouldn't work for all quarterbacks but you kind of, they, those guys uncover quickly and allow Tua to play a faster game, which is what his game was at Alabama. I'm actually more impressed by the, the improvement we've seen from Jalen Hurts. Here's the reason why, Michael. He's improved in areas where you generally don't see quarterbacks improve. Like his pocket presence has gotten better. Usually that doesn't change much. His anticipation has gotten better. Usually that doesn't change much. His accuracy has gotten better. Usually that doesn't change much. And so I look at Jalen Hurts and I, you know, watching him last night, it's just, yes, a lot's right around him, but you sort of wonder where the ceiling for him might be because, like, mm. he's made improvements in areas where you generally don't see quarterbacks get a lot better. Like, the reasons why, like, when he was in Alabama, some people thought he wasn't going to be playing the position in the NFL. Like, some teams were, like, legitimately evaluating him as a running back when he was in Alabama. Wow. You know, now you see him. And he's improved in areas where you generally don't get improvement from quarterbacks, which is just, I mean, it's mind blowing. It's a great credit to Jalen Hurts. It's a credit to the people he, with the Eagles that have helped bring him along. Um, son of a high school football coach, I guess. Like, you know, part of it is that you just got like a really high aptitude for the game. And, and maybe you can make improvements in areas where other people can't improve. Um, but it's been eye-opening to me. And I know it's been eye-opening to people who know a lot more about football than I do too.
1: Well, I'll get you. Uh, I'll get you uh, on the way out with this thought. You said to me, I think it was last week or the week before, that if you're looking at dark horses in the league for for championships for the for a Super Bowl appearance, you were going with Philadelphia. You said that before last night.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: I guess last night didn't really change, didn't discourage you from that view. <laughs> you look up. at Philly as <laughs> okay, but that's tough, though. You think about Philly. Still got the Rams to deal with, even though I look shaky on Sunday. You got the Rams, you got the Buccaneers. Yep. Packers aren't going anywhere, but you like the Eagles, uh, or you wouldn't be surprised to see the Eagles come out of the uh, out of the NFC.
6: Yeah, I have the Packers winning the NFC, um, and I and I think like I feel better about that after Sunday. To be honest with you, like I think this might be the best combination of run game and defense Aaron Rodgers has ever had. I also think they're sort of using that calculus that. If you've got a great quarterback, you can use the first few weeks of the season to sort through things. And they've done that by getting David back, and Elkton Jenkins, their two tackles, fully healthy, like Jenkins came back last week, missed week one, which I think was a big deal. Um, back, will be back, I think, in the next few weeks. So they've used it to kind of get those guys healthy. They've also used it to get the rookie receivers help, some reps. And so, you know, where Romeo Dobbs and, and Christian Watson might be costing them right now, as they sort of learn as they go along, the Packers think by getting them that work, it's going to wind up really benefiting the team in November and December and help them, you know, make up for the void that's created by by, by Devontae Adams. But, I mean, I'll tell you this. Like, you just look at that defense with seven first-round picks starting and the run game, the way it looked with Aaron Jones and, and A.J. Dillon on Sunday. I think they, they they can ask less of Aaron Rodgers now because they're so good in areas outside of just the offensive passing game. Um, Yeah. And then, I mean, Philly, I think you look at it and, and this is the logic I use to call them a dark horse in 17, not to bat myself in the back, but I did think they were a dark horse that year too, is strength on the lines of scrimmage. You know what I mean? Like they are so strong on the lines of scrimmage and it's a real rarity. If you look at like their roster, right? They've got four guys, two on each side of the ball in those positions who have a decade in the league and with their team as Lane Johnson and Jason Kelsey on offense and then Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham on defense. It's remarkable that you'd have that level of experience and that at at that sort of talent level on the lines of scrimmage. And on top of that, they've got a lot of other good players in those areas too. And generally, I think it's a good rule of thumb for everybody. If you have strength in the lines of scrimmage, you're going to be in every single game. It's like why I think Detroit's going to be pretty good when we get to the end of the year. Mm Um, you know, Philly's got strengths in the lines of scrimmage. And, you know, obviously you look at the way, you know, in areas outside of that one where Darius Slay and AJ Brown are making plays for them now. Um, yeah, I think Philly's going to probably win the NFC East and be an 11, 12, team when all is said and done.
1: Bert, overall, it was an enjoyable weekend of football. I guess if I really had to complain about anything, it was the Buckeyes giving up 21 points. Uh, giving 21 points. Scored 77, I know they they scored 77. Uh, I was looking for a a, a more stout defensive performance from my Buckeyes. But they got Wisconsin.
6: I'm with you. you. I I will say this. That Toledo quarterback's a real dude. I think his name is DeQuan Finn. All right. So just kind of file that name away. Like, I think that was part of it. Like, I'm not saying it's totally excusable. 21 points against Toledo. Both you and I know that's not good enough. But I do think that quarterback enough. they have is a real dude. We may see him in the transfer portal. Maybe we'll see him in the Big Ten or the SEC somewhere next year.
1: And, and you're feeling good about the Wisconsin game on Saturday?
6: I feel pretty good. I think we're okay.
1: Okay. You? All right. All right.
6: You? No, I I mean CJ looks sharp. CJ looks sharp, and I know it's Toledo. You know this,
1: as an Ohio State fan, there are two schools that you look at. Well, no matter what the situation, you say, okay, watch out for them. One is Michigan State. We got PTSD. Michigan State has ruined some dreams for us, and Wisconsin has done the same thing. So Wisconsin, Michigan State. I'm always just kind of looking at them, even if they're not that good. Yeah. Got they got, and
6: they got that massive running back too. I don't know, like like, like Braylon Allen. Like, I mean, he's like two hundred and fifty five. Like as always, they've got the Wisconsin's had like twenty back. of
1: those guys. Yeah, they always do. They That's got the they big have.
6: corn-fed lineman and just the huge, <laughs> like physical running back. I will say Run, this: like, there's great. no school. There's no school where like the football identity and the basketball identity matches up better than Wisconsin. Like, it's like they're the That's same right. team in those sports. I don't know <laughs> about other sports, but in those two sports, it's like they're the same team.
1: That's true. And I hate that big W on their helmet too. Just aesthetically. Yeah. It
6: looks I, like a relic of the nineties, yeah. doesn't it? With the shadow on it, it and everything else.
1: Yeah. It, it taunts me. Taunts and haunts. Thanks, Bert. Thanks, Michael.
3: Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort.
4: Um, Obviously, you know, very, very difficult night, um, you know, for our team. But you got to give the Eagles a lot of credit. Uh, They they outplayed us um, and, and really controlled the football game. Um, really in, uh, in a lot of phases of the game. Um, but I, when I look back on tonight, um, ultimately I think, uh, you know, I put, I put this one on me. Um, I put this one on me. I don't think I did enough for our team in game. And, and obviously I, I think our plan, uh, we felt good about our plan. They did some things defensively uh, and just seemed to, seemed to kind of push us to the point where we just needed to make that one or two uh, plays on a drive to kind of get going and see if we could potentially finish um, and and kind of capture that momentum and then ultimately as, just as a football team, although our defense and, and special teams with the block field goal uh, defense with a you know, forcing a turnover there late just to try to help us try to get going And ultimately weren't able to capture that and uh, like I said, you got to give Philadelphia a lot of credit But ultimately I, I, I do mean it. I do feel like this one's on me
1: Oh Oh Oh, Charles Robinson I cannot tell you how that drives me crazy. I mean, that, that this is the, this is the new coaches cliche. This is whole line of thought that, you know, what? hey, fellas, I, I, you know, look a lot of things. Give credit to them. Give credit to them. First of all, but this is on me. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. It's on you. Okay. Th- this is why I call BS on that for a couple of reasons. One, They spend a lot of time telling us this is the ultimate team sport. Hey, we win as a team. We lose as a team. It's all three phases, on and on. Then you come back and say, it's on me. So you make it it individual. Okay, so let me just pretend like I've rejected all of your comments about how it's a team sport, and I'm going to buy it, that it is on you. If I ask follow-up questions about how you didn't do your job during the week, you don't want to talk about it now. You don't want specifics. You'll give me some generalities about, hey, you know, we could have done some things, better. okay, no, wait, 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 coach, come back. Um, you are the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. It's your full-time job. You're not bartending on the side. Uh, you're not doing something. It's not a speaking gig to, to make ends meet. You're a well-paid head coach of the team. What, what, what the hell were you doing during the week? Uh, Charles, this drives me crazy. I don't know if it, if it hits you the, way, the same way it hits me. I can't stand hearing this.
5: It's, it's what I call talk empty. That's, that's the goal of coaches. Talk empty. You know, spill, fill space, but don't really um, give actual traction to the point that you're trying to make. If it is on Kevin O'Connell, as you said, what I want some specificity here. Did you not have hot reads for all those blitzes? Because I'm sorry, at the end of the day, <laughs> Kevin O'Connell wasn't throwing off his back foot. He wasn't panicking. He wasn't looking completely uncomfortable like he couldn't understand I don't know if it was pre-snap reads. I don't know if it was disguises, but Kirk Cousins is a veteran quarterback. What's he got seven straight seasons with 25 plus touchdown passes. This is not a rookie. Okay, and I sat there and I watched last night and I thought to myself, number one, Jonathan Gannon, the defensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles gonna have a job. You know, he very well could have been the Houston Texans coach last year, you know, could have gotten that job. Um, I do think he's gonna be a prominent name in rotation going forward. But number two, the pressure he was scheming up, I just could not understand through the balance of the game, why there was never any adjustment, which you could put on Kevin O'Connell. But here's my thing. Again, with a veteran quarterback, um, someone who's been around, someone who's who's faced pressure, who's been on the primetime stage, who's thrown touchdown passes, Kirk Cousins throwing off his back foot, um, looking like Carson Wentz at times out there, like he's lost, just making horrible decisions. He's locking just onto Justin Jefferson. Yeah, just bad throw up bathroom. I'm going to throw it up for Justin Jefferson to hope, hope that this guy's the all world talent he is, and he's going to come down with it. Uh, he he, he got to know. By the way, Philadelphia's corners in particular, Darius Slay, pretty good corner. Okay, there's you, get, you have to know your per- It. I I look. I get it. Kevin O'Connell I'm trying to put it on yourself, and I think that was more him trying to take it off of Kirk, which is probably part of the job description that he felt like he had walking in there.
1: All right. Well, let's talk about him for a second because he's one of those guys that you always say uh, about Kirk Cousins. Okay. Not not a great quarterback, but you could do worse than Kirk Cousins and we all talk about, you know, primetime Kirk and that's that's a pejorative. Yeah, we're talking is. about his record and these big games, but I wouldn't say, even though those numbers look terrible—one touchdown, three picks—it wasn't all him last night. They did a lot of things that just were head-scratching. Would you? Are you comfortable enough to say about Kirk Cousins? He'll never be a guy you can rely on in big games. Do you, do you feel comfortable saying that about him? He,
5: what, what's the scouting term that we, we hear all the time? trucks and trailers, right? Is he a truck or is he a trailer? Do you got is he pull you to the Super Bowl or do you pull him to the Super Bowl? That kind of thing. Um, we've always agreed he's not a truck, right? He's a trailer. He's someone that you can go to the Super Bowl with him, but he needs he needs help. I think like when I look at that team around him, look Dalvin Cook, not the greatest running game for Dalvin Cook. The, the offensive line clearly was struggling. Um, you know, there there's a number of, number of issues there offensively up front that I think created those those problems for him. But I mean, Kirk is exactly who we think he is. Quasi Adolfo Mensa. There's this big off-season, you know, or preseason kind of um, kerfuffle because he comes out and and basically calls Kirk what he is. You know, he in- insinuates that. <laughs> Hey, we don't necessarily need the greatest quarterback. I Everything I read, by the way, from him by uh, a, a piece that was done by Jory Epstein, who, by the way, Yahoo Sports became uh, uh, an employee of Yahoo Sports today. Shout out to Jory Epstein. Who uh, How about that? Congratulations. Uh, yeah, Jory Epstein writes that story, and when I read it, I thought he told the truth. He told the truth about about Kirk Cousins and and the reality that this is not an elite quarterback in the NFL, but. You can, you can have success without necessarily having elite quarterbacks in the NFL. And he got in trouble for it because he said what the truth is. And we say it all the time, but you don't want the general manager saying it. You don't want the head coach saying it. Um, but, you know, again, he is what he is. He's a, he's a quarterback that, as I said, seven straight years, I think 25 plus touchdown passes. Statistically, he's a guy who could be there. But when you play in prime time games, what are you typically playing? You're playing a prime time opponent. Okay. And you're playing with an element of pressure, not necessarily postseason pressure, but the big stage pressure. And you can look historically back and at a number of quarterbacks that were solid players, but didn't perform well on big stages or under big pressure or against the best opponents. And that's, I think that's part of what we saw with, with Kirk. And we've seen it long enough now to know that the Minnesota Vikings are either going to have to continue to build an immense team around him over the next, they have two years. This is year one of a two-year relationship that's left with Kirk Cousins. With the way his contract is structured, this is it. You got your shot here, but you need to start planning ahead for the next quarterback um, to move on because this is—he's never going to change um, beyond what he already is.
1: I, I, I want to ask you if you are uh, getting as excited as I am about a showdown, a early season September showdown. In the AFC East, you've got the undefeated Miami Dolphins taking on the undefeated Buffalo Bills for first place in the AFC East. I know it's <laughs> early, uh, but are are you – you, if, if Miami wins this game, will you look at Miami and say, well, wait a minute. I thought they'd be good, but now I may have to consider them real contenders. Well, is, is there anything that can happen in this game that will make you change what you already think?
5: Uh, they're absolutely – look, if they beat the Bills, like the Bills look like a juggernaut right now. And, oh, and man. you know, the, they the Eagles look really good through two, two games relatively, I guess you could say somewhat, look, Detroit and Minnesota, maybe not, you know, world beaters there. But uh, first things first, I'll throw a little cold water on this. Remember a year ago, okay, we watched... The, the Arizona Cardinals come out like gangbusters, right? They beat the crap out of the Tennessee Titans. They beat San Francisco. They beat the Rams. We're like, oh my God, the Arizona Cardinals, this is it. This is it. A lot can change over the course of the season. But that said, Buffalo just, they're, they look loaded. They look stacked. I mean, they look ready. Um, and it's beyond just the talent. To me, they look like that team that is ready to take that next step to ascent. They remind me of the first few years of Patrick Mahomes with the Kansas City Chiefs where you saw not just Mahomes but all the other players around him that were like okay who's going to beat us that's how they feel right now Miami I will say this the, the start for Tua has been magnificent however when you go back and you look at at his his performance this weekend um, anytime a quarterback throws five six touchdown passes in a game it's, it's ballistic what it reminded me of though is look at some of those touchdown passes that were thrown Yeah, When when he was at when he was at his best in at Alabama, it became a problem because people were looking at the film and they're saying it's hard to judge what he is as a potential NFL player because he's throwing touchdown passes to receivers who are five yards open, ten yards open. That's not gonna happen in the NFL. Well (laughs) right. Okay, it might with with (laughs) if it if it if it does with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. Right. He can be a good quarterback, but I just don't know if you can count on five yard windows, which is what he had a lot of those in this last game. I don't know if you can count on that um against the Buffalo Bills, because the Buffalo Bills, they can boat race any team in the NFL right now. And that's a lot of pressure for Tua to keep up with.
1: Yeah, you can you can see him like on uh, uh, one of them. Tyreek is, is sitting there waiting for it. He's just it's unbelievable for the ball for, for the ball to come down. Uh that was That was an impressive, as impressive uh, as that was from Tua. And we talked about it a little bit yesterday. Just can't believe I saw the Baltimore Ravens do that defensively. I don't care who they're missing, who's coming back. Yeah, You know, Peter's back, Humphrey back. Still, you don't usually see that. But Charles Robinson, always great to catch up with you, my friend. Uh, We will check in with you next week.
5: Sounds good. Thank you, Michael.
1: Thanks, Charles. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came
3: to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort.
1: Okay, I appreciate you guys on the way out. I got I to end with something negative. We got to ban this fan who slapped Kyler Murray at the end of overtime in Vegas. Alcohol doesn't make you do that. Being a hater makes you do that. Don't blame the alcohol. Don't say you got caught up in the moment. You were drunk. No, 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 no. You're a hater. Because you shouldn't even have been in that crowd. That was for Cardinals celebrations. You a Raiders fan? Get to stepping. Banned forever. But you guys aren't banned forever. See you back here tomorrow, brother from another. Thanks for hanging out.